0: Welcome back. It's Deb Hutton. Thanks so much for joining me this afternoon. I say every day my favorite part of The Rush is our Smart Speakers series. And joining me this afternoon is Jerry Agar, host of The Jerry Agar Show. Jerry, I have been using you all day on The Rush. Really? Really. I've been playing your fun clips from this morning on your show and on Moore in the Morning. You have provided a ton of fun fodder for the rush this afternoon. Played your argument with John Moore around uh, photo radar and speed cameras, and Mm -hmm. I've played your back and forth. Well, he wasn't with you, but the back and forth between you and your local MP, Yvonne Baker, on the issue of who should pony up on refugee claims for the city of Toronto. It's been, thank you very much. I should send you, you know, you should send me a bill.
1: I play clips from you from time to time, so we'll call it even.
0: All right. There you go. So, uh, as you know, we are into budget discussions uh, and using uh, telephone town halls and online opportunities to look at the budget that was proposed last week by uh, Shelly Carroll, budget chief, in anticipation of a February 1st budget from um, the mayor herself before we find out exactly how much they're going to ding us on February 14th as our little special Valentine's gift. I just wanted to ask your perspective on whether you think that these these budget consultations are worth doing, if you think it will make any change. Because I'll tell you my experience at Queen's Park, having gone through many of these, both as an opposition staffer and in government, is that the people who come to the table are the people who want more money. They actually use this as an opportunity to ask for more funding for their particular causes. Do you put any stock whatsoever in this, or do you think this year might be a bit different? Because when you're facing a potential 16.5 property tax increase, maybe it's time for those of us who don't usually go to budget deliberations to show up.
1: Well, I have some questions for you because you're more have more inside knowledge than I do on this. Um, and that is, first of all, I agree with your first point. There may be some people exercised with the size of a possible tax increase, but I often wonder if they're really actually listening. I mean, I, I always think these things are kabuki theater. It's like, let's pretend to listen to the public.
0: Yeah, I, I I think you're right. Also joining us on Smart Speakers this afternoon is Sarjeet Kaur, co-founder of KPW Communications. Sarjeet, we're just talking about whether or not we're likely to see anything of value. And Jerry's asked the question whether or not our politicians at City Hall in Toronto are likely to even listen to the submissions as we go through this next phase of budget consultations. Your thought?
2: Well, I should hope so. I think, um, you know, the process is always worth doing the effort. There are some councillors who have publicly spoken about the need to provide feedback and uh, revisit some of the budget issues. So I think, um, you know, it's very well worth doing. And at least people can put in their two cents of what should be prioritized or what they would see as good value for, for the tax pay, taxes
0: that we're all paying. I, I just shared a moment ago that you know my experience at Queen's Park, which which may be different, is that it's usually an opportunity for people to come and lobby for more money for their causes. Do you think that will be different this year, given the property tax hike that's being proposed?
2: Well, I think a lot of people are going to see that there's going to be an increased uh, pot of money. They might get that impression. So they might think that, yes, let's get in there and prioritize our issue. Um, and and there well could be some room for that but granted a lot of this tax increase has been done on the basis of Stuff that we're already in the hole for and that that money has been spoken for, but I definitely think there's an element of that, and I too remember from the, the budget process, it's not even just the groups and the public. Every, every ministry is also trying to prioritize and putting in their wish lists. and we had a whole process about results-based planning, and you get your mandate letter, and so everybody's after that money, for sure.
0: Queen's University Provost has uh, started to sound the alarm bells that the university one that I grew up believing was one of the best in this province, perhaps in this country, could go under without cuts to courses. What's the answer here, Jerry? I'll go back to you. Back in the fall, Ontario received a report from an expert panel saying that we needed to end the tuition freeze in universities, and we needed to boost per-student funding, which of course means taxpayers. I would argue there's also the cuts that they're sounding the alarm for may, in fact... Maybe they should actually be made at our universities to make sure that we are maintaining our excellence at the post-secondary level.
1: Well, sure. I mean, one of the things that I was reading in this article is that they're looking at cutting classes where only five or ten students sign up. Well, I, I guess that's the marketplace speaking. If, they, if you can't get students to sign up for the course, then what's the purpose in offering it? And I would also uh, look at a situation where um, maybe the tuition that you pay uh, is somehow indexed to sort of the economic usefulness of the degree you're looking for. Because if you're looking for taxpayer money, then I want you to come up with a degree that means that you've really got something to offer in the marketplace. You studied at the medical school or engineering or um, those kinds of things, which, by the way, they said that uh, those departments are actually doing fairly well. And if you want to study something esoteric because you just like to do academic navel gazing, well, then maybe we're going to charge you more money for that.
0: And would you be in favor, Jerry, of further deregulation of some of those tuitions, those those the ones that you mentioned that are actually in popular demand and have economic right. outcomes?
1: The taxpayers spend an awful lot of money getting people all the way through the 12th grade. At that point, you are employable, and whatever it is you want to do for yourself and for their education, well, that's kind of you, isn't it? So, yes, I think that uh, um, if, the, if the universities are struggling, they've got to get their money somewhere, and I would prefer it not continue to always be the taxpayer.
0: Subject Core, not only uh, is Queen's sounding the alarm bells about a deficit as much as maybe $50 million and the need to do something something drastic, but they say six other institutions in Ontario are in similar uh, situation.
2: What do you think is the answer here? first of all, I think there is a wealth, a wealth, a wealth of evidence and research that education is good for the economy, whether it's uh, something directly applicable like a trade school, which is at the college level, or medicine or law, as Jerry mentioned, but all the other things, you know, whether you're going to be a writer or an artist or a musician, like it's not something that you're going to get paid a lot of money for anyway, so a lot of people don't do it. And then on top of it, if we're going to say that those people have to pay extra tuition, I think uh, it would be pretty sad if we had a world without all of those folks. And uh, believe it or not, directly or indirectly, they do do a lot of important roles with that diversity of thought that comes that you need, and whether it's a corporate workplace or any other. But I would say in terms of the actual financial situation, There's another way. We are still stuck on an old model of post-secondary that's bricks and mortar buildings. It's a real estate almost uh, kind of situation for some of these schools and universities where we have all the technology to provide the best education by the best professors online, and we saw this during COVID, but because we're stuck in this old model that is very expensive to maintain, that if you have five students, you have to have a classroom for them, you have to build a building for them, you have to have a professor come in just for five people, and if we could just modernize teaching, uh, it would be better. You would have the same professors maybe teaching at the top, art institutes of the world, teaching people in Ontario, but we've never been able to do that, and that's why I think we're stuck in this uh, financial hole.
0: Jerry, just your response on that, because my reaction is those were the best years of my life.
1: <laughs> well, then what's that worth to you?
0: I, I'm with you. Like, I I, I think I, I'm not averse to a new model, but I think the experience of being in university and actually of interacting with your, your professors, I think is worth more than we're paying for, quite frankly. And I would see more tuition, part of the equation. Sergeant Kaur, who is the co-founder of KPW Communications, Jerry Agar, host of The Jerry Agar Show. Stay with me. Coming up after the break, I'm going to reopen a debate from yesterday. Pandemic loan extension, yay or nay? All that and more when we return with our smart speakers this afternoon. You're listening to Deb Hutton. This is The Rush on News Talk 1010. Thanks so much for joining me. It's Deb Hutton, and I am joined for our Smart Speaker Series this afternoon by Sarbjeet Kaur, who is the co founder of KPW Communications, and Jerry Agar, host of The Jerry Agar Show on News Talk 1010 from 10 till noon Monday through Friday. Yesterday on The Rush, we had a really lively discussion and debate with our, our callers on whether or not the federal government should extend the deadline for reporting payment of the SEBA loans. Those were, of course, handed out to businesses during the pandemic. $60,000 loans with a $20,000 forgivable portion, but that would have to be paid back by Thursday, January 18th. The original deadline was end of the year. It was extended for a couple of weeks. Or if you had uh, been given a $40,000 loan, if you repaid by the deadline this Thursday, $10,000 of that would be forgiven. People really uh, weighed in. It sort of bounced back and forth. Uh, and at 5.20 this afternoon, this afternoon, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh will join me to give his perspective on this. Just want to start with you, Sarjeet Kaur, on this. Do you believe that there should be an extension? To the repayment loans, some about, by all accounts, about a quarter of businesses have already repaid their loans. They've either been able to successfully repay or have refinanced so as to keep that um, uh, that that portion that they did not have to pay back. So, either ten or twenty thousand dollars in uh, forgivable loan.
2: The fact that you lose the incentive to the you know, the forgivable portion, kind of is what the the return on if you want to delay it, fine, but you're not going to get all of the benefits. I might say no, because they have to repay it. It was a good deal. It was for COVID, and now it's over, except for the fact of the condition of the economy. And for that reason, I think the extension and having a way for people to extend it where they still will have to repay it makes sense, because if you look around us, you know, the economy is not that great. Interest rates have really skyrocketed. Small businesses are struggling. It's January, which is typically their slowest time, anyways. Especially if you're in kind of in restaurants, hospitality, whether it's tourism, everything is slow. And frankly, they've probably done research to figure out well what's better: having a bunch of people default, where you get zero money back, or trying to work with people, which is similar to what any bank would do to give them some more time. So, are you suggesting an extension or a yes. targeted extension? Well, I think it is already targeted because they lose the incentive and there has to be, again, other things where, you know, you you can't have it both ways. If you need more time, you get more time, but you don't get the forgivable portion. And then maybe at some point you have to start paying interest. If this bill needs another extension after that, a lower interest rate is still better than if they had to repay it at market rates. Jerry, I
0: tend to fall into the rules or rules category here, but am I being too harsh?
1: Well, no, because I think they've extended this a couple of times. And I've had representatives from the Small Business Association on the show and talked about this a number of times. Businesses got in trouble, not through their own fault. Some of them were actually literally shut down. Um, So I feel for the businesses, but at some point they took a loan. Uh, they didn't, uh, this was not a grant. It was a loan. And someday you have to pay the piper. And if, if they keep struggling and struggling and struggling, you have to ask how viable the business is because we're well past COVID at this point. I think for some of those businesses, this is what occurs to me. If they were going to take $20,000 off the top, if I pay them back on Thursday, then I'm going to borrow some money from somebody else. Cause there's no way I'm going to pay $20,000 in interest on, uh, to to pay that person back. So I know there are actually some banks who are advertising programs for that very purpose. So I hope that some people could do that.
0: Yeah, 100%. I think people were perhaps a bit shocked at the rate they would be charged, to which I would push back and say, well, if if you don't have a relationship with your bank and your bank is saying, this is the amount of interest I would charge you to be able to pay back the interest-free loan from the federal government, then it's probably because they don't think you are a good risk overall. Yeah. Um, Last week, Ben Harrison, who is our producer here on The Rush, undercovered something at Loblaws. He used to go home from the show at six o'clock, get to his local Loblaws and look in the section where food prices were dropped because it was the last day uh, for their uh, their product, usually fresh things and best before date was that night all of a sudden the 50% off stickers became 30% off stickers. And so we talked about this on the show. An answer was uh, subsequently found from Loblaws. And they said, you know, we're bringing it into line with our competitors. Sylvain Charlebois, who speaks about food issues and grocery issues all the time on News Talk 1010, said, doesn't this sound a little bit like some form of collusion. In other words, instead of competing with our our competitors, we're actually bringing our prices into line. Sarjeet, your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I mean beyond the
2: collusion just from a communications perspective, I think in the dead of winter when food prices and, you know, people struggling is in every headline and Loblaws law in particular has been targeted as kind of the big bad biggest grocery chain. This is not this is not what they should be doing at this point. And I too uh, enjoyed those stickers it's like enjoy it tonight and you get the the sushi or whatever and you just go home and eat it and it was a nice little thing. So, I just don't understand that for for a small amount just even the optics to do this. Uh, how much would it change to their bottom line when they're already being villainized in the media as you know this this huge greedy grocer that is is taking food from people's mouths literally. Tone deaf, Jerry.
1: Well, it's hard to defend the grocery stores because when you mention collusion, the first thing that comes to mind is the bread collusion. They were actually found guilty of collusion, and I took advantage of getting those cards and getting some some breaks on my groceries as a result of that. So collusion is entirely possible. However, uh, market awareness is not the same thing as collusion. If I had uh, a store and I'm selling oranges at X dollars a pound, and right across the street, the other store has a different price, I know that, and I may change change my price to be in line with them, that's not collusion. That's just being aware of your competitor. The other side of this, too, and I, I sound like I'm running to the defense of the grocery stores. I'm not. I'm just trying to put some of the factors out there. Um, we're also told that actually it's not groceries where these operations are making their money. They're making it from drugs. They're making it for finance and other places. So I, I don't I don't know that, uh, that necessarily there's collusion going on here to our detriment.
0: May have just been a bad response to a question. Um, I'm going to stick with you for a second, Jerry, because I am curious. You had a front row seat for many years on American politics when you were working in the States. General reflections on what you saw out of Iowa that last night.
1: Well, it wasn't a surprise, of course, because the polling showed that that's what was going to happen, is that Donald Trump ran away with it. But um, but I would like to, for anybody who's in a panic about the fact that uh, that Trump might win, he might win. Some people are predicting that he, he will not only win the nomination uh, again for the Republicans, but in fact, win the presidency. I don't know. I would never make that kind of bold prediction because I'll take you back to 1992, the Iowa caucuses. The winner of the Iowa caucuses was Tom Harkin. We all remember Remember Tom Harkin very well, don't we? Deb? <laughs> um, and and um, and coming in fourth with 2.8 percent of the vote was Bill Clinton, who eventually won the nomination and the presidency. Iowa not that important. All right.
0: We'll talk to you after New Hampshire next week, then. Sarjeet Kaur, yeah. co-founder of KPW Communications and Jerry Agar, host of The Jerry Agar Show. You can hear him tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Thank you uh, both for joining me for Smart Speakers this afternoon. As I said, coming up just after the break for traffic at 5.15, I'll be joined by Jugmeet Singh. going to ask him why he is calling for an extension on the pandemic loans that we just chatted with our Smart Speakers about. All that and more, you're listening to Deb Hutton. This is The Rush on News Talk 1010.